Good morning. If you are a fourth or fifth grader, at this time, you can head to your Harbor Kids uh, leader who is waiting for you in the back. Missy Richmond is leading you today, and this is going to be a fun morning. I'm convinced of it. Good morning. Have you ever faced a significant decision in your life when you needed to make a choice quickly? Maybe you can think of something like that in your head. In, 20, uh, in 2008, uh, my husband Steve and I found ourselves at the crossroads of a job change and a possible relocation. Steve is an engineer, and at the time, he was working on residential housing developments. So you can probably see where this is going. When the housing recession came in uh, 2008, he was seeking out a new position. We were living in Grand Rapids at the time. Uh, We had a one-year-old, and I was a stay-at-home mom. And so you can picture that there was some urgency for us about what was going to happen next, what was going to be our plan for what would be ahead. So Steve cast this wide net in looking for job possibilities, not only around West Michigan, but also um, around the Midwest. We were looking at job opportunities that would allow us to be within driving distance of our family and friends. He ended up with a job offer um, from an organization in Des Moines, Iowa, and he was really excited about this job. The thing about it was it just felt like it was a fit for him with the culture of the organization and the people that he had met. He really liked them. But there was also this reality, right, that we would be far from our community, far from our family and friends. And the job itself had this risky spot to it in terms of how it related to the housing market at the time. Meanwhile, there was a job opportunity in South Haven. It was a new job, and so the application process had been very slow and a little bit unpredictable. And so we wondered how this was all going to work out. But the job prospect itself really aligned well with some of Steve's career goals. There hadn't been an offer extended, and we found ourselves wondering whether this was going to really pan out as a possibility. So we reached this crossroads in a decision as Steve needed to make a decision whether to accept or decline this offer in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, And he had agreed that he would make a decision um, and and follow up with the organization by uh, noon on a Friday. So you can probably see where this story is going. We reach Friday morning and there is no resolution. We are still wondering whether this job opportunity is possible in South Haven. And Steve is calling them. There's conversation that's happening back and forth. We're feeling a little bit unsteady and unsettled all morning long. And at 11.45, he gets a phone call from South Haven offering him a job. And we're quickly trying to vet, is this the, is this the right fit? And ultimately, he decided to take the offer. That's our story of being 15 minutes away from moving to Iowa. <laughs> Maybe you faced big choices like that. Choices that influence the next season of your life. Choices that feel important. Choices that we can point to as a turning point within our lives. Sometimes these choices are uplifting and filled with joy. And sometimes choices are challenging with no options that feel hopeful. Or without knowing, or with knowing that there is a better way, but feeling like there's a barrier to be able to choose it. 
We are not alone with wrestling with these decisions. If we consider the stories of the people from the Bible, we encounter story after story um, with people who were confronted with a choice that would have important consequences. We're in a sermon series from the first book of the Bible, from Genesis. And um, as a church, we'll be studying the book of Genesis over this year. This is not just a book of disconnected stories. This is a book of God's story with humanity. And your story and my story is included within it. Last week, Pastor Ben Peters shared a message from Genesis 2, sharing that our identity is anchored to the goodness of God. You are loved and you are good and that you receive an invitation to live into that, to recognize the value, purpose, and function that we attach to our identity. And in order for us to live into this identity as as image bearers, as, as people made in God's image, God gives us the freedom to make choices. And those choices have consequences, which leaves us wondering what happens when we choose a way that does not align with his way. What happens if we make a wrong choice? This morning, we're going to take a look at the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent from Genesis 3. While this is the familiar passage that's often referred to as the fall, I'd invite us to pay close attention to the story of Adam and Eve, to God's story with Adam and Eve, and to recognize how our story is included within it. If you have your Bible with you today or have it on your phone, we'll begin in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. We'll also have it up on the screen. Let's dive in together. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that was in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Genesis 3 begins with a conversation between Eve and a serpent. The text here does not, by itself alone, clearly identify the serpent as Satan, But the rest of the Bible makes it clear that this is Satan appearing as a serpent. Ezekiel 28 verses 13 through 19 tells us that Satan was in Eden. Many other passages associate a serpent or a snake-like creature with Satan, such as in the book of Job and in Isaiah. The serpent is described as crafty. And this word is translated elsewhere as prudent or sly. It isn't a quality that is necessarily evil, but could be used to deceive. Satan is clever. The serpent is seeking to ask a series of questions about what fruit may be eaten in the garden. In verse 2, we see that Eve knows that she may not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. So how does Eve know this? 
In the previous chapter of Genesis, in verses 16 and 17, God places Adam in the Garden of Eden, and he commands him, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Command here in the scriptures uses the Hebrew root word savah, the first time that this concept is used in the Bible. This command to the man began with a statement of permission, actually. The man could eat freely from every tree in the garden. God had graciously provided all of this for them. But there was one tree that was off limits. The serpent questions the boundaries of God's command. He casts doubt on what Eve understands as the command through a series of questions. What was the tone of the questions of the serpent, do you think? Was it curiosity, skepticism, cynicism? We don't know. Honestly, though, these questions may feel familiar to us. Have you ever heard a child questioning the rules of the family? Have you ever experienced with a new employee them kind of probing and asking who is in authority and who is responsible, sort of testing what the boundaries are within this new job? The heart of the issue within the conversation between the serpent and Eve is who will Eve trust? Is it the words of the serpent or is it what God has said? Eve makes a choice. She knew God's way, and yet she sees the fruit as good for food, pleasing to the eye and desirable for wisdom. And she eats it, and she gives some to Adam, who also knew of God's command. This is a pivotal moment as Eve's temptation by the serpent leads to a choice and an action that she and Adam take. What's the immediate outcome? Adam and Eve's eyes are opened. They realize that they are naked, and they make coverings to hide. In Genesis 2, God creates the woman from the rib of Adam. And in the final verse of Genesis 2, we read that Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, these two had this innocence that was free from shame. There was no fear of exploitation, no sense of vulnerability, And after choosing to eat the fruit, Eve and Adam realize that they're naked and they're changed. They are exposed, feeling aware and ashamed of themselves, and they take action to protect themselves and to cover themselves. Think about it this way. The consequences of their choices cause them to look at themselves differently. God gives us commands, a best way to live, his way, and our choices have consequences that change how we view ourselves and how um, we, we choose to move forward. The innocence that was once present for Adam and Eve is lost, and they now see themselves differently than before, a consequence of their dis- disobedience to God's command. Professor and author Brene Brown defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, something we've done or failed to do that makes us unworthy of connection. Can you identify with that moment in your life that your perspective of yourself, your feelings about who you are turned towards shame? 
where you made a choice and the consequences caused you to look at yourself differently. Maybe you made a decision in the past that you look back on with deep regret. You've never named this part of your life, even with those closest to you, even though it was so long ago. And even now you feel shame about that moment. You look at your failure on a project at your job and how it shaped how you view your abilities and of your um, stance and work within an organization. You press on with your work now, but you keep finding that sense of fear of failure motivates you to push harder, to try to avoid any risk of failure. And even now, you feel shame about that moment. You remember a conversation with your spouse that turned to an argument. Words were spoken that you both wished that you had never said. And words that still stir in you feelings of hurt and anger and disappointment. And even now you feel shame about that moment. If you had to name one of those choices, what would you write down? What choices in your life have led you to a place of shame? Where are you holding back? Maybe hiding a choice that, you, that has changed how you view yourself. As Adam and Eve make a choice to eat the fruit, their eyes are opened and they seek to hide and cover themselves. They are experiencing shame within themselves. They are, are distancing themselves from God. How do they encounter God and how do they relate to one another in this moment? Let's continue reading in Genesis 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam and Eve hear the sound of God walking through the garden in the cool of the day. The word walking in Hebrew is an idiom that means friendship and relationship God was close. He was near. God was coming to Adam and Eve in seeking out friendship and relationship. And what do we see from Adam and Eve? They're hiding. As Pastor Tom Allenbach shared two weeks ago, in these early chapters in Genesis, we see that God is both cosmic and personal. God creates the universe, but also God comes near to Adam and Eve, seeking a relationship. And while Adam and Eve decide to hide and try to separate themselves, God still pursues them. He approaches Adam and Eve and he asks this question, where are you? He has not lost track of Adam and Eve, but rather he's asking a question as a parent would ask a child. He's giving Adam and Eve the opportunity to name what has happened and to reflect on their choices. Have you ever come home from work and one of your kids seems to be avoiding you? 
when you look at them and you, you have a conversation, you notice they're not making eye contact with you. In that moment, you're fully aware that something's gone wrong and you're trying to find out what has happened. Adam admits his fear to God, likely an entirely new emotion. Interesting to think that he's never felt this sense of fear before. So Adam responds and he focuses on his nakedness, not wanting to be seen by God. But God probes further and directly asks him, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Adam and Eve confess their choice. Then they each take turns in accusations and blame. Remember, Genesis 2 concludes with Adam and Eve together and feeling no shame. And now here they are covering themselves. They are hiding, they are accusing, and they're assigning blame. They are looking out for their own story within this and not protecting one another. They are not seeking to be unified, but instead to share separately who is to be assessed with the blame, the closeness, the one flesh relationship that God has established is now distanced and fractured. Our choices have consequences that create distance in relationships. In his book, Wishful Thinking, author Frederick Buechner describes these kinds of consequences by writing, The power of sin is centrifugal. When at work in the human life, it tends to push everything out towards the periphery. Sin is whatever you do or fail to do that pushes them away, that widens the gap between you and them, and also the gaps within yourself. God gives us the, the ability to make choices. And when those choices are not aligned with God's way, there is a movement away from the center and a gap. There is a distance that develops between us and others. A gap forms between ourselves and others. A gap forms within ourselves. A gap forms between ourselves and God. Where is the gap widening with someone in your life? Maybe it's a close friend, a parent, a colleague. Maybe you sense a gap widening in your connection and relationship with God. What is the root that's pushing you away? What choices have you made that are contributing to that distance? The choices that Adam and Eve made have consequences. They look at themselves differently. They experience shame. And there is now distance in their relationships. And despite these consequences, I'm fascinated by God's response to Adam and Eve's choices. Let's continue reading in Genesis 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I have made your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. God begins by addressing the serpent. The consequences, the curse, names the serpent's position among the animals and also the enmity, the hostility and the conflict that will continue between the serpent and the man and the woman. Then God turns to Eve and to Adam, explaining the consequences that now rest with them for their choices. For Eve, the focus of the consequences centers on relationships and family, pain in childbirth and strain in the relationship between husband and wife. For Adam, the consequence is one of hardship in doing the necessary work of life. Genesis 3 makes clear that deviating from God's way has painful consequences. The consequences are real. When we look at the passage um, earlier in Genesis, in Genesis 1, Pastor Tom had shared the foundation that God creates order out of chaos by filling, separating, and empowering. What is happening here already in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve are not choosing order, are they? They are They are not embracing the order that God has created, but instead there is a movement. They are moving back towards the chaos. Sin brings us away from God's order, away from his way, towards temptation, choices that we know go against God's way, shame, hiding, blame, and accusations. All of this is chaos. God's response to Adam and Eve gives consequences for their sin. But we also see that his compassion and grace, even in this pivotal moment of the story, come into place. Let's read Genesis 3.15 once again. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, the conflict between the serpent and the man and the woman will continue. And there is one who will crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15 is sometimes referred to as the first gospel. This verse is the first note of God's redemptive intention following the fall in the Garden of Eden. This is the first moment of mention of a redeemer who will crush the head of the serpent, that the serpent's deception will be destroyed. We see a foreshadowing of a Messiah, the Christ who will come to crush the head of the serpent. Already, we see God planning to bring together what we have broken. God extends grace, even as he names the consequences to Adam and Eve for their choices. He gives hope to the man and the woman as they confront the consequences of their sin. 
He is not absent from them within this significant movement away from the order that God has created. Let me say that again. He is not absent from them in the midst of this significant movement away from the order that God has created. Even as Adam and Eve move away from the order, away from God's way, God moves toward them. I love how John Mark Comer talks about this reality in his book, Garden City. He says, think of the Eden story. God comes to Adam and Eve when they are hiding in the bushes, right after they royally screwed up. That's what God is like. He doesn't hang back, arms crossed, mad and withdrawn, waiting for Adam to wise up. No. He comes to our first parents right in the middle of their mess and failure. In the tension of the conflict and hard conversations with your teenager who is making choices that keep distancing themselves from your family and from your values, God meets us there. In the feelings of shame that you find yourself experiencing from a financial decision that you and your spouse look back on with regret, you wish you had been more cautious. You wish that you had vetted that choice more closely. And you see some pride within yourself about that choice. God meets us there. In the anger and disappointment of untrue words that a friend had spoken about you to a mutual friend that now has left the friendship broken and has left you wondering what others are thinking of you, friends, God meets us there. Where is the chaos in your life right now? Where has the consequence of a choice that you've made left you wondering if God can meet you there? This week, I invite us to take notice of where God is already meeting us in the midst of our chaos. You can draw attention uh, to God's presence and you can find him in many ways. One way I'll give you today is called a daily examine. Examine is a faith discipline of discerning the voice of God within our activities, our moments, our thoughts, our feelings and interactions throughout the day. It is an invitation to sit before God and to offer our day, both the grand moments and also the mundane details, back to him so that he can alert us to what he wants to do to redeem our moments and to make us aware of his presence, that he is with us. With practicing examine, you find a quiet place and you carve out about 15 or 20 minutes to practice examine. And then there are three steps to your time. The first step, step one, is presence. To pray and invite God to bring to mind what he wants you to notice about your day. The second step is to notice to spend some time with a few questions that help with that reflection. And here are some questions that you could consider. When did I feel most connected with God today? Or maybe when did I feel least connected with God in this day? When did I exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, or self-control? When did I miss the opportunity to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? For what am I most grateful for today? 
For what am I most excited? What am I hopeful about? And then step three is examine. To prayerfully attend to what you've noticed. What is God saying to you from within these moments? What is God inviting you to embrace? And what is God inviting you to leave behind? Our choices have consequences, and God remains with us even when we're faced with these consequences. What is he inviting you to recognize about the choices that you've made? And what about those choices that feel like chaos? The final verse of Genesis 3 concludes with Adam and Eve leaving the garden. They needed to leave the paradise of Eden, but God did not leave them. God remained with them. I want to close with words from Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu and his daughter M. Fo Tutu in a book that they co-authored titled Made for Goodness. Let's listen to these words together. There is a choice in every moment. In every moment, there is a chance to flourish and not to fail. Every instant is rich with possibility. I have not carved out the path that you must follow. We are forming the way together, you and I. I have destined you for good, and a field of goodness lies before you. Listen to me. And though the way may not be easy, every step and stone will lead to joy. Turn aside to heed the voice of the tempter, and faltering will mark your journey. I trust you, my child. Even when you have fallen, the road does not end. You can rise up from the ground and turn around. You can repent and head for your home in me. Seek me out. You will find me. I have been here from eternity. And until eternity, this is where I will be. I am waiting and you will find me. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for remaining with us. We thank you for meeting us. Lord, we recognize our choices and the consequences and the chaos that we find ourselves in. And yet, Lord, we thank you that your love is so steadfast within us that you extend grace and mercy to us, that your faithfulness continues. And Lord, we come before you and we offer ourselves to you. We praise you and we thank you that you meet us. And we pray that we would listen to your voice, that we would follow where you are leading, that we would find the things that you have for us that we should embrace And Lord, we also pray that you would help us to let go and leave behind the things that you would prompt us to let go of. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship you. We thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.